Welcome to Faith and Science. I'm Dr. John Ashton. Just the other day, I had a phone call catch-up with a um, a fellow um, uh, university professor that uh, I met up with. We're both working on the same uh, research uh, uh, or project um, with a, a big cooperative research uh, centre grant. And um, we he had contributed to uh, my book, The God Factor, about 20 years ago. And it was really great to catch up. And as we, we chatted, we talked about the number of... Um, other scientists working in you know science faculties within universities that uh, are Christians and um, believe in the Bible, and of course there's a very strong atheist uh, present in universities these days, unfortunately. Uh, but his comment was that at least through the Bible, um, as Christians, we have hope. Um, we, we see all the, uh, a lot of bad things happening in the work world. I mean, the population uh, growth is, um, you know, continuing to increase very rapidly. As a result of this, there's a um, massive amount of clearing of, of vegetation to make way for new housing and uh, building. Um, this clearing of vegetation is, you know, quite worrying, really, um, as well as the increased pollution then that is resulting uh, from the, the clearing of land the, um, and the, the, the consequent changes that take place with the, the clearing of land and also the management of our, our food supply um, in order to, you know, produce enough food for everyone and yet be environmentally sustainable is becoming more of a challenge. And, um, you know, so there are many um, areas, you know, the, the source of fresh water, fresh water even for food processing um, is looking at uh, becoming more critical. Of course, there's a lot of fresh water stored at the poles as, as ice, and we have this controversy over, you know, global warming. Well, certainly, you know, the the Earth uh, goes through a number of, uh, you know, has been shown over history to go through temperature cycles and is increasing. Um, it seems we're going through a, a warming period at the moment. Uh, people are concerned about increased levels of carbon dioxide, but of course, as I pointed out earlier, carbon dioxide provides our our food. Um, and if uh, you know the the levels drop too low, then plants would stop photosynthesizing. Now, you know we're fortunately well above that level now, but plants grow much better in higher levels of carbon dioxide. So there's a lot of a lot of confusion out there. But for Christians, of course, we have the we have the hope in the Bible. And the thing is that the Bible is substantiated from so many different aspects. You know, it's substantiated from fulfilled prophecy that um, that were written, you know, thousands of years ago that were fulfilled in detail, way ahead of time, impossible for them to be contrived. I mean, you know, going back a couple of centuries, 150 years or more, um, the uh, higher criticism of the Bible had begun in the 1800s and, um, you know, people were attempting it would seem to sort of analyse it as if it was just some you know, made-up sort of uh, book. 
And um, but as we've um, you know done more research into this area, we've found that hang on, history all the time is confirming. As we make new historical discoveries, we're finding that secular history has to be corrected in line with biblical history. Um, Notice the name of uh, Belshazzar in, uh, you know, the king that was um, when Babylon fell to the Persians, you know, hadn't been mentioned in any of the secular history until, you know, just over 100 years ago when it was, uh, you know, um, references, uh, historical sources to him were discovered. And yet he was talked about in, in the Bible. So, there, you know, there are many examples like that. And... Um, of course, there's the, the personal experience of answers to prayer. There's the experiences of changed lives. Um, there's the massive historical evidence that Jesus was a real person, was really resurrected from the dead. I mean, that, that's why it, it changed the world. Those people that saw that, the, were the witnesses went out to tell what had happened, that God had really visited his people, the Creator had really visited His people and shown us how to live, and that testimony is recorded. We have the testimony, for example, of Paul, you know, a person who was strongly persecuting Christians, and then had a personal experience in meeting the resurrected Jesus um, on his way to get you know more um, authority to persecute more Christians. God stepped in personally and stopped him, and. Paul then became the, uh, one of the greatest advocates for Jesus and, and Christianity, even taking his witness to the centre of the Roman Empire at the time, one of the largest world empires. Um, and, you know, the influence that that has had. And so the reality of these things, and you know, the historical evidence is there. You know, people have looked at the, histori- the documents that Paul wrote and they're from the places, the times, the people, the description, they're also historically accurate. Um, And so we have this amazing testimony. But there's also testimony in the Bible itself. And uh, and, uh, a book that I have been um, uh, had for some time, actually, is called Number in Scripture. It's Supernatural design and spiritual significance. Now, this book was actually originally written in, uh, published in 1894 by Ethelbert W. Bullinger, Doctor of Divinity. And it's a very, very interesting study because I've been interested in mathematics and we see there's so much evidence of mathematics and the logic of mathematics in nature uh, I've talked previously about Fibonacci numbers and so forth, and I've talked previously too about the angle of the of the rainbow, Brewster's angle, and and so forth, and the significance there with the the promise that God made to Noah that God would put His bow in the skies, a covenant between, and a promise and a covenant between um, God and man that He would never again destroy the earth with a flood. And um, uh, the number, the angle is uh, 42 degrees, which is the, 
the product of six and seven. And so I'll talk about these numbers because these numbers have quite significance uh, in the Bible. And what fascinates me is that the Bible was written over, you know, a span of uh, you know 1,500 years, uh, one and a half thousand years or more, and um, by you know about 40 different authors, um, and yet it's coherent. It fits together well, and these different uh, books and, and writings of these uh, the different uh, people who were inspired by God, they'd had an experience with God, they knew God, and that's what they wrote about. They wrote about their experience with God, or else they were scribes, and they recorded the miracles, they recorded the history of Israel, they recorded what had happened. Um, and uh, it's also not glossed over. The faults and failings of the kings of other people are there. It's like a, a factual diary account. Um, it hasn't glossed over and, and just you know painted all the you know the pretty positive uh, sides of the the lives of these people. And I think this gives us so much hope and encouragement as well. But um, yeah, this book by. Um, Bollinger, as I said, uh, number in scripture, it's significant design, uh, sorry, it's supernatural design and spiritual significance is quite, quite fascinating. So I'll just go through, he talks about, for example, one, and he starts and goes through with the, the different uh, numbers. And um, I'll just quote a little bit, there can be no doubt as to the significance of this primary number, one. In all languages, it is a symbol of unity, and um, it denotes unity. And so this is a point that um, he points out. For example, when it is written, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one Lord. He says that it doesn't deny the doctrine of the Trinity, but it excludes absolutely another Lord. It, there, it excludes, therefore, all idolatry. And hence the first commandment, commandment number one, declares thou shalt have no other gods. And so um, he goes on and, and raises another, a number of uh, fascinating things about um, the number one. And um, in, in the Bible, he talks about how it marks uh, the beginning and the importance that everything begins with God. Um, in the beginning, God, um, and nothing is right that does not begin with him. God first is the voice of Scripture. And, um, you know, he, he points out that, you know, one of the things that Jesus pointed out in uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 is, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. God first is the great Proclamation. He points out the angels sang, Glory to God in the highest. This was the beginning of their song. It's, it's, it's fascinating reading, actually. Um, and he, you know, he goes through um, and talks about the significance of the first words of Jesus and the first book and, and so forth. Um, it's some fascinating stuff there uh, to look at the significance of one in the Bible and how that is used. If we look at uh, number two, and this is a, 
a number I wondered about, you know, what would be number two? And he points out that one excludes all difference and denotes which is sovereign, but two affirms that there is a difference, there is another, and, and this difference may be for good or for evil. Um, and so the number two, he points out, takes a twofold covering uh, there. And um, it's interesting that on the second day, light was um, uh, created, but it created division. Immediately there was a difference and and division um, when light was uh, created. And it created light light from darkness. And the second day had a a division. Um, There'd be a firmament in the midst of the waters. They'd divide the waters from the waters. Yes. Of course, light was created, sorry, on the first day. but um, So it, it's interesting, looks at a number of the spiritual uh, significances of um, uh, number two, and in, in particularly um, the account of the fall and uh, the entrance of the second being an enemy, that old serpent, the devil. So he, he raised a number of interesting issues around the, um, the use of the number two, again, which is um, quite I- interesting, I think. Uh, just moving on, of course, uh, because there's so much, I mean, um, he, you know, just dealing with those first couple of numbers covers about 50 pages in the book. It's a, it's a lot there. One of the areas I was quite interested in, of course, was um, his use or his uh, association with the number three, what he found out with the number three. Uh, And and it's interesting the way he thinks in terms of maths and geometry. He said, number three, in this number, we have quite a new set of phenomena. We come to the first geometric figure. Two straight lines cannot possibly enclose any space or form a plane figure. Uh, but three lines are necessary to form a plane figure, and there's three dimensions of length, breadth, and height, all necessary to form a solid. Uh, and it's, it's interesting with regard to three, too. I remember if you want to have a stable, um, uh, you know, a stable set of legs supporting an object, you choose three, not four. And that's why you have tripods, the most stable, whereas if you have four legs, it's a bit harder to have the stability. But anyway, um, God's attributes are three. He talks about God is omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent, has omnipotence. Um, he talks about there are three great divisions of time, past, present, and future. Um and of course, there are you know we know there are, uh, are three people in the the Godhead: God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Holy Spirit. And it's uh, it's quite you know fascinating when he he goes to three, and he says when we turn to the scriptures, this completion of of three becomes divine. So the number three marks divine completeness or perfection. Um, and he, he points out that three denotes divine perfection, whereas seven denotes spiritual perfection, and ten denotes ordinal uh, perfection, and twelve denotes governmental perfection. Of course, when we think about it, there were the twelve tribes of, of Israel. 
Um, and of course, God's Day is the seventh day of the, of the week. He goes through you know, many aspects there. But it's interesting how he says that three denotes divine perfection as opposed to um, seven denoting spiritual um, perfection. Um, and it's, it's quite, um, quite in- interesting that he points out that three, this number associated with the Godhead, the, the three persons uh, in one God, and three times the seraphim cry, holy, 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 one for each of the three persons in the Trinity. Um, that's in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3. And uh, the living creatures also in Revelation chapter 4, verse 8. Um, three times the blessing is given in Numbers. Um, in uh, Numbers chapter 6, uh, verses uh, 23 and 24. Uh, the Lord bless thee and keep thee, the Father. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious to you, the Son. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace, the Holy Spirit. So it's it's interesting that um, uh, a number of points, so many points he he um, draws out in uh, in many aspects with regard to the number three. It's, uh, you know, in so many places. And I think, you know, it's a fascinating exercise to to just look at how the number three is used in uh, Scripture. It's interesting going on to number four, that um, four, he says, is made up of three plus one. It's interesting how I guess he's contrived some of these things. But he associates four with creation. And um, creation is therefore the next thing or the fourth thing that follows on from God, from the Trinity, the Father, the Son and, and the Holy Spirit. And so, of course, um, it's interesting that the, in the fourth commandment, we are to remember creation. The Sabbath day is a, a day that we are to stop working um, and spend that time um, just, well, not working, but use that time to remember that we are created. We were made by God. This whole world, this whole universe, everything was created by God. God is the, is the Lord. And it um, goes on that in, in Scripture, four relates to things that were created. And uh, he, he believes emphatically it's uh, the number of creation Um, The fourth day saw the material creation finished and um, the the sun, moon and stars and the work were all that um, were created then to give uh, light on earth and rule over day and night. Um, uh, He points out that four is the number of the great elements, earth, air, fire and water. Um, There's four points of the compass, north, south, east and west. Uh, he he says there are four seasons to the year: spring, summer, autumn, and winter. Uh, it's it's interesting um, the the different aspects that he draws from uh, four. Also, um, it's interesting as um, there are uh, four uh, heads of uh, animals, of course, on the um, in uh, Revelation there. 
the the lion, the ox, the eagle, and the the man's head. So, yeah, no, a number of in- interesting things. And again, uh, he he looks through a number of um, quite a number of things in the Bible associated with the number four. Um, according to Bollinger, um, five is the number for grace. Uh, so he lists that we have the Father, Son, the Spirit, creation, and then redemption. And um, he said these are the five great mi- mysteries, and five, therefore, is the number for grace. And he goes through a number of um, arguments there uh, for five being the symbol for grace in the Bible. And he goes through the the significance of of um, the um, of five in a number of of different ways that he uh, believes reflects the number five being associated with uh, with grace. There were five smooth stones. Um, the the uh, one of the promise in Leviticus: five of you shall chase a thousand, and a hundred of you shall put uh, ten thousand to fight to flight, etc. Um, these sort of things he draws to support his his case for for five being a symbol of grace throughout the Bible. Yes, there's a, a lot of things that, um, and you know, we don't have a lot of time to go through. And I'd like to just finish off with some of these others numbers. Um, he sees six is the number for man, and it's the number for man as destitute of God. Or without God, or without Christ. So it's the it's the number for, um, uh, as I said, that denotes man, fallen man. Um, and as he points out, for example, the sixth commandment relates to the worst sin, murder, and um, the sixth clause of the Lord's prayer treats of sin, um, and um, six is the number stamped on for human. Uh, labor. So if we work for six days, for example, um, talks about how Cain's descendants are only given as far as the sixth generation. So that's um, you know quite another fascinating. And he he um, talks about um, oh, he raised many points that there are uh, sixfold opposition to the works of God uh, recorded. Um, uh, it's one fascinating one is that six times Jesus was charged with having um, a devil. Uh, and for those that um, are interested in Matthew chapter to 3, um, verse 22, John chapter 7, verse 20, um, John chapter 8, verse 48, John chapter 8, verse 52, John chapter 10, verse 20, Luke chapter... 11 verse 15 and Matthew chapter 12 verse 24. So this is interesting. When when you think about these things and the use of numbers in Scripture, and as he says, it's there's so much evidence that the numerology is, is supernatural and the way it is constructed because these are all different authors and yet um, the consistency that runs through written at, at different times. Course seven, he points out, is the number of spiritual uh, perfection. Um, it's um, 
and he talks about the number of times that seven occurs and and this sort of uh, thing in the Bible. But I think we we you know the whole week of creation was seven days and and so forth. And one of the things that I find is like for example, even with um, the rainbow in the sky, it's fascinating that Brewster's angle is is forty two degrees. It's a covenant that God made with sinful man. Um, seven for God and and six for you know sinful man. Uh, so again, he talks about many aspects of how uh, seven relates to spiritual perfection. One of the really fascinating numbers in Scripture is eight. Um, and while um, Bullinger talks a lot about number seven, he, he denotes a very large section of his book to number seven. He writes that in Hebrew, the number eight uh, from a particular root to make fat or cover with fat or to superabound. And as a participle, it means one who abounds in strength. Um, and so it's associated with superabundance and, and, um, and uh, so forth. And uh, often it's, um, you know, associated with uh, Jesus. And one of the things that I found with the rainbow is that there's a second bow that's eight degrees higher at 50 degrees. And, of course, it's interesting that 50 is the number for the jubilee, for release, for freedom. And so, as I see, with the rainbow, it's a sign of God's covenant at 42 degrees. And then the secondary bow at 50 degrees. And it's through Jesus that we re- uh, obtain freedom, freedom from sin, um, to enjoy uh, that it's through God's grace, through freedom, that um, of Jesus Christ's sacrifice uh, for us. He talks about how, for example, Jehovah's covenants with Abraham were eight in number. There's so much more that I could talk about, but I see I'm running out of time with uh, 10 related to, for example, law and um, and, and uh, with the Ten Commandments and, of course, 12 with government with the 12 tribes of, of Israel. It certainly is a fascinating book. As I said, it's called Number in Scripture by E.W. Bullinger. And in my mind, it certainly provides... Uh, very powerful evidence all through Scripture that Scripture is inspired. The people that wrote the Bible were inspired. The Bible is a supernatural book we can believe. I encourage you to read it. You've been listening to Faith and Science, and if you wish to re-listen to this uh, program, remember you can uh, Google 3abnaustralia.org.au and click on the Go to the Listen button. I'm Dr John Ashton. Have a great day. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio. 